Coaching Inside the Box. A youth soccer coaching podcast. A Brit, a Brazilian, and an American discuss culture and environment and the impact it has on youth development. Can you coach inside the box? Coaching Inside the Box, episode 42 is here and it is upon us and we are excited to continue our conversation about uh, philosophy curriculum teams that invest years and years into it. Is there a time that they should look to move on from this development first deceptive dribbling and goal scoring curriculum? Of course, the three of us, Philippe, Andy and I think not. But we're here today to give you more rationale, more logic, more perspective from our years of experience as to the importance of sticking sticking through the development phase past the dawning of tactical awareness and continuing to focus on uh, development first, deceptive dribbling and goal scoring first. Um, last episode, we talked a lot about retraining or training that new tissue that kids um, um, add through puberty so that they don't lose the years and years of investment on deceptive dribbling and goal scoring skills um, to begin with. With that said, I know Andy's excited. Philippe's definitely excited. If you're watching us right now on YouTube, you'll see that we're all wearing black, and that's our excited color. Um, uh, and, and so when we're wearing black, that means we're in a good mood. It's Philippe, kind of, Andy, kind of morbid, ha- isn't it? how the heck are you guys? I'm fantastic. Couldn't be better. Couldn't be better. I love to hear that. Uh, Philippe, or Andy, how's life on your side of the street? It's uh, pretty pretty good, yeah. I got no complaints. Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah. It's sure. it's May May 5th. It's uh, Cinco de Mayo. Uh, I guess the episode will probably drop later today, so maybe it'll still be May 5th when you listen to this. Um, for all of our international listeners, they're probably like, Cinco de Mayo, isn't that a Mexican holiday? Uh, actually, they probably wouldn't even know that, because I don't think they celebrate Cinco de Mayo in Mexico all that much. It's just us in America oh, celebrating really? Did Cinco I know de Mayo. that. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. It's like, it's like Flag Day, I, I think. Um, the American version of Flag Day is how big Cinco de Mayo is in Mexico. It may, it may surprise some uh, listeners, but you know, in England, we don't celebrate the Fourth of July. Really? Yeah. Okay. In Brazil, <laughs> we don't we don't celebrate in Brazil either. Huh. Yeah, but Philippe, you might not ca- make the connection. Fourth oh, of July is when we beat the English. <laughs> no, I do, I do. But you got you guys have no idea how many people here in America ask me. Uh, if we celebrate 4th in July in Brazil. And I look back at them, I'm like, are you seriously asking me what well, holiday is it? Well, you, you know, know, I think we celebrate it. You know, we, we had a dog in that fight and people still ask me. We had a dog that got badly burned in that fight, got badly beaten. People still ask me if we celebrate that in England. Uh. You know, <laughs> Well, you guys, you guys know I host exchange students, right? Like I've had several exchange yeah. students I've interacted with over the years. The stories they tell of the dumb questions they're asked at school. Do you guys have TVs in France? Uh, yeah. <laughs> in is Paris? Is that in Spain? Uh, no. <laughs> let's let's get into this stuff. We need to. You know, this is a crucial. Issue. Look! Look at Andy and trying to get us back on track. <laughs> yeah, Andy, getting yeah, us back right. on track. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm itching to get into this. You know, this, <laughs> this whole tryout misconception that we've been dealing with 
well, for years. Well, for for years, as as an organization and club that I think um, uh, is standout and and recognized recognized by our competitors, that in 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 the early stages of development, we do it best. Nobody does it better. Um, and um, but there's this some misconception. of them don't even try to run programs that young. Yeah, yeah, because they know that they might as well let them go work with uh, the Happy Feet Legends guys. And uh, we'll try to steal them. We'll later. try to steal them later. Yeah, yeah, for sure, a hundred percent. But uh, this misconception that we talked about last episode, uh, especially, comes up every year in May as tryouts in Kansas City are upon us. Um, okay, we've we've learned the skills now. My kid knows how to do a Maradona. Now I need to go teach him how to do something else. Um, and, and Andy, you've been fighting that that concept for the better part of, I guess, 25, 30 years. Right. And before we get into that specific question, the interesting thing is our club is the biggest single club in the Kansas City metro area now. You know, compared to any other single club in the in the metro area, we have always grown in size every year. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's the good news, right? Because we've got this incredible reputation for developing phenomenal individual players. The bad news is we've lost more players than any other club in Kansas City history because when our players get to be 13, 14, 15, 16, all the other clubs that, that um, you know, can't develop players like we do on their own, you know, their coaches come voraciously recruiting our players, you know, with all sorts of promises um, that aren't true, that don't pan out, that go totally wrong in the opposite direction. They come with these promises of, yeah, but, you know, we're playing in, you know, right now it's the ECNL, you know. And, and so you are going to get, in two years' time, you're going to get more exposure because you're playing with us to college coaches, you know, which may or may not be true, you know, and, and possibly is. The problem is in two years' time, the player that was wonderful and growing with us is going to be absolutely relatively terrible because for two years, they don't take players on. They're not encouraged to take players on. They're discouraged from taking players on. You know, they're not hitting 60 to 80,000 shots a year in the boxes and then on our rebound walls in our facility. And so as individuals, they shrink. They shrink in their mentality. They shrink in their leadership. They shrink in their technical abilities. You know, and so in two years' time, these wonderful players, some of whom are on national teams when they leave us, have gone to pot. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem that we're dealing with here. And so, you know, this is why we're making a big deal right now at tryout time of this, because it doesn't have to be this way. The parents and the players don't have to commit, you know, developmental suicide by joining another club, you know, just at the time when they've gone through their growth spurt, like we discussed last week, just at a time when their skills are in jeopardy because they've added a backpack of useless tissue, you know, they go and join another club and it's gone within a year. What we developed over years, this Lionel Messi, this CR7, this Pelé, this Maradona, this Zidane, this Ronaldinho type ability, on the girls' side, this Marta type ability is gone within a year or two when they move to another club. And I, I, I sometimes wonder that from a parental perspective, the, the biggest problem for this is that, that, that their end goal, 
doesn't match up with the the stated end goal that we have, which is to help their player to be the best possible player they can be at 17 or 18 years old. Instead, for a lot of parents, the end goal is just getting them recruited to a college team. Never mind the fact that once they get to that college team, they they you know they have an opportunity to play. They they need to 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 be as as good as they can be to maximize their minutes on the field, yada, 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 yada. I think a lot of times youth parents think, especially on the girl side, but on the boy side too, at 13, 12, 13, 14, okay, college recruiting is around the corner. My, my stated goal is to get my, my daughter or my son to a really good college. And so they think entirely about that instead of thinking from a more broad sense, like I want my player to be the best they can be at 17 or 18 year, years old so that when they go to college, they can be the number 10, they can be the number nine. And that brings me to a story you shared with us recently about a former super standout player from our club that started it at, at four or five years old, went on, played until she was 13 or 14 before she left us. She was in the U.S. national team youth setup at the time. She's gone on. She's currently playing, and she's a few years into a major powerhouse D1 school um, in the United States. And Andy, you mentioned you ran into her dad at like one in the morning at a grocery store. Right, right. And uh, and and you know, to be honest, you know, it's not the last thing I wanted to do was have an hour long conversation. <laughs> At, what at one in the morning. I don't believe it. I think you'll take an hour-long conversation <laughs> any way you can get it. I don't know. I value my sleep. You know, and it, you know, it doesn't help. You know, it's obviously not beauty sleep. Look at this face. Uh, but <laughs> really, Philippe, you have to snort into the phone when I say that, like in agreement. Um, it wasn't in agreement. <laughs> but but uh, you know, we we got into a discussion that inevitably I didn't turn it to you know to the young lady concerned. You know, and you know, but it, it it went back to you know what we we probably shouldn't have left when we left, you know, because you know, you know, she was flying high, you know, she was able to beat people at will, score goals, you know, she was a phenom, and you know, it was the start of you know a long slow decline in in her abilities, you know. So, and this isn't the only time it's happened. This has happened sure. every single time. I, I, I get to talking honestly with parents about their kids leaving the club, you know, and, you know, they, they all you know, say, yeah, you know, we really had our best years when we were with the Legends. But, you know, why would that not be the case? Because, you know, when they leave us, they are basically throwing away four unique pillars of development. They are throwing away a coaching philosophy that guarantees to produce leaders. You know, that bravery, that creativity, that go for it mindset is guaranteed to produce leaders, people that stand out, people that aren't afraid to stand out, which is a big deal in girls soccer because of, you know, the, the you know, the, the tall poppy complex. And, and but the second thing they're throwing away is a coaching philosophy that is designed around making the individual an absolute powerhouse as opposed to what every other club out there is doing, which is designed about having the team win games, which is basically for the ego of the coach, the ego of the parents, and mistakenly for the ego of the kids. You know, you don't want to boost a kid's ego falsely by having them do something which they earned or not earned. That's not the right word. Earned means they actually deserved it, you know, which they got because they played a tactical system that was totally wrong for their individual development. So, the, you know, the coaching philosophies at these other clubs are basically in place because the coaches need to pay the bills. 
And they know if they win and they can play at a higher level and the kids get to, you know, be able to play in front of a D1 coach because they've got, quote unquote, a winning team. It doesn't matter if the players aren't individually outstanding, if their team is able to play in that showcase because they've achieved what they told the parents they were going to achieve, which is we get to play in front of 100 college coaches on the sideline. Well, that's the wrong way to look at this. Because when you play in front of 100 college coaches on the sideline, if you can't beat a player one-on-one, if you can't score goals from 25 yards... You're lowering your ceiling. You are you know, certainly less than optimal value to the college coach that wants a true Legends player that all the way through has been doing that stuff and is able to seamlessly transfer into the college program and continue to beat defenders and score great goals. Yeah. You know, and so, so it's it's a totally mistaken perspective. Is you know we're just looking at getting in front of college coaches, but we're not looking at what we can do when we get there. So players are leaving us, you know, as young as, unfortunately for them and their families who don't really realize how they're shooting their kids in the foot. You know, it's like in state cup in Kansas recently, in the under eleven girls. You know, and it was it was almost funny because. You know, we played a team in the final with our under-11 girls that was a Legends team last year. We'd had a lot of these kids since they were just little. We'd built them into dribbling and goal-scoring phenoms. That They got to this tremendous level, you know, best in, the, in, in, in two states level, best in Missouri, best in Kansas level, and they left us en masse to join another club. And our second team that was nowhere near close to them when they left played them in the final You know, and so we had literally two Legends teams in the final of the Kansas State Cup playing each other. And a year up in the under-12s, you know, we won both State Cups, Kansas and Missouri, you know, because we just develop players like nobody else develops players. Well, I think it should be stated that the team you're talking about, the U11 girls team that left the club in mass, the stated reason, uh, because the coach and I are friends, he called me up to let me know they were leaving. Uh, the stated reason was um, we we, we want to get it into an ECNL track, track. And I was like, the girls are 10. Yeah, but, you know, ECNL, college recruiting, just want to make sure that they get access to that. And I was like, well, ECNL doesn't start for another three years. Like, I'm so, forgive, forgive my ignorance. I am struggling to understand your logic, particularly <laughs> because, and I can tell you, those girls on that team, just like the girls on every team, most of them, almost all of them, likely all of them are going to end up at a university within three or four hours of Kansas City, meaning the ECNL uh, access that they need to get access to, you know, Florida State or UCLA or Stanford or all of that is is uh, is not likely because the girls are going to end up going to MUKU, Baker, um, uh, K-State, and all of those those coaches know all of the best players in Kansas City, regardless of the club or the league that they play in. Absolutely. And, and so... You know, what they're giving up is we just covered the coaching philosophy, right? We've got this incredible coaching philosophy, which trains unbelievable individuals that stand out, that get college scholarships, that, you know, just do awesome things. You know, but they're also giving up the environment, you know, where you can go into a 20 by 12 foot soccer box and like Riley Smith, who, who I saw, you know, just signed for the summer with the, uh, the women's team here in Kansas City, and she's playing D1 at Missouri State, you know, you can, you can hit uh, 1,474 shots in an hour and a half in one practice, you know, in our soccer boxes. 1,474 shots is more than I hit in my whole career. 
And Andy remembers that 1474 so well because he tells the story so often. If you want to know how to get into Andy's house, that's his garage door code. <laughs> it actually isn't, but... <laughs> I'd say that too. You know, but it might be too. in the future now that you pointed it out. Um, so, but it's the so, bank account. Yeah, we've got this... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm that stupid. <laughs> we, we've got this incredible environment, you know, that they're giving up completely because they're going to train on these vast fields outdoors. And Kansas City's got more artificial turf fields than anywhere in the world, mm. per square mile and per head Captain, of population. Yeah. It's just incredible. And, uh, you know, they're going into these barren wastelands where, you know, in a whole practice, they might get, you know, 200 touches, you know, split between you know, receiving and passing and heading and tackling and all these things, as well as some shooting and dribbling, where we're getting thousands in in practice of touches. You know, and so so you know, they're they're going to lose from an environmental perspective because what we've invested in here is unique worldwide and they're giving all that up, that repetition factor that everybody knows is at the core of development. You have to have incredible technique gone the opportunity to do that is totally gone on a daily basis you know and you know and some of those kids if they stayed with the club would be gym rats they'd be here four or five times a week you know and they can't have access anymore you know we can't encourage these ex-players to come back use our facilities because our current players are using them you know and we don't want to actually encourage our ex-players to come back and use our facilities because we're basically saying you can have your cake and eat it and you know we will be undermining our ability to develop great players in the future if we do that you know so it'd be crazy of us to offer you know anybody and everybody from the community to come in because you know we wouldn't have place for our own players to play and you know we'd be actually sanctioning you know the ridiculous decision on the part of the parents to take their kids somewhere else which undermines their development that's not fair andy we do let anybody and everybody come into the facility right our facility is wide open if somebody leaves us they've made the choice that they don't they don't want to come into the facility but they always have every every person right has the opportunity to come in and train at our facility we have plenty of teams to cover everybody in addition um uh, we don't we've got cut, we don't cut anybody we don't cut players try. we've got a a a very uh, generous um, needs-based scholarship apparatus to ensure that kids that need it can get in here that maybe can't afford it. Um, and every player that has chosen to left us, leave us, has chosen to leave the facility. We'd, lo- we'd happily welcome them back, um, uh, but uh, they can't just use and abuse us uh, for our facility. Can I, I, right. I want to I reinforce something that Andy said because I think it's very important and people don't look at that so seriously. He mentioned it, does, it doesn't do any good for you to be in front of the hundreds of college coaches if you don't stand out. Well, you go to these events, you look at all the age groups, all the teams that are in it, you're competing for the college scholarship with hundreds, maybe thousands of other girls. If you don't stand out, you're literally blending in in a gigantic pool of kids. So if you're there and you don't stand out, you're going to go and get a scholarship through the system because you are another number into that system, into that showcase. Some coaches, they need to, well, they'll pick the one, two players that are going to be the difference makers and they're going to fill the rosters with the rest, what they're going to see through the system. So at that point, these girls, if they leave too early, they're going on these 
platforms, they're spending thousands and thousands and thousands. I mean, obscene amount of money, pretty much getting flights to a lot of the games uh, throughout the year. And at the end of their youth soccer career, even if they get a little bit of college scholarship, they literally spend all that money and paid for their scholarship beforehand. And I, I don't think that's, that's the way to do it. Like, you're not gain, gaining a real advantage by doing that. you got to beat your best develop- when you're training at that level. He mentioned, a, he used an expression that I think is perfect, developmental suicide. That's what it is. You're sacrificing your opportunity to become the best version of yourself as a player in order to make sure you get something through the system at least. And I think that, I don't think that's a smart move. And I honestly don't think it's a brave creative leadership move. And here's the interesting thing that um, when I started the club in 1989, you know, we didn't have these national organizations where we had to travel all over the country in order to play in, you know, and belong into those national organizations um, that drained the parents' bank account because, you know, they're having to you know, uh, stay in hotel rooms, they're going to pay for airline tickets, etc. you know, to get their kid, you know, to Florida, to, you know, all these other places around the country. And, you know, we played in the local league here in the Heartland Soccer Association, and the way the divisions were set up, we got a really good game every game. And if we had a team that was extra special for their age group, we just played up a year and got a good game every game. You know, and every game was competitive. We didn't have to go a thousand miles to play you know, in the ECNL or whatever it was, you know, and here's the thing, the teams today are going a thousand miles to play in the ECNL in these competitions, you know, and spending an absolute fortune. The games are more lopsided. I've been following the games. They are way more lopsided than my teams ever you know, mm-hmm. had games of that nature in the, in the local leagues. Because it's club-based and it's impos- nearly impossible for every single club on every single conference to put uniform teams in every single age group. So in every age group, you're going to have one or two teams that dogs. are below yeah. the level. You're gonna and you're going you're gonna to go put, pay flights and spend three days in across the country. Spend The other day, one of the parents was saying they went on a, on a trip like that, you know, three days, and it was like seven, eight grand. I mean, we, we, we did that. We did that travel. My team that you coached, one year. Our junior year when the college well, coaches and, were recruiting and, us, and, right? And we went and played at the we, Blue we Chip saved, Show. We saved our money. We saved our money. We planned it out. There was there wasn't the college coaches weren't going to watch us at U15, right? So, so we went the year that they can, watched us. Can I make us. a point that's really important? Sure. Y- your parents as a group, between the time when I started coaching at age four to the time we actually went and showcased at U17, saved probably four times as much money in travel costs you know, by playing locally, you know, and and uh, not traveling to be in the ECNL and not doing these other things, saved, you know, four times as much money as they needed to put you through college. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, and it's just incredible. So the parents today that get involved in this are spending, if they were just to put away the money that they would spend between the example, the team that left, you know, the 10, 11 year olds that left. You know, between 10, 11, and 17, the money that they will spend playing in all these ECNL events, if they were to put that away, they could pay for four sessions of college, for yeah. 16 years of college for their kid and if, they, if they put that money in the bank. And I would like to piggyback off that point um, from a perspective of 
you know, traveling and going to these events is a lot of fun and there's life memories that come from it. Uh, they came was... from it for me too, right? But, but, but we don't need to be a society so built on extra that it's obnoxious, if that makes sense. If your team has the money and the means and you want to travel to Las Vegas or Phoenix or California or whatever, great. But we don't need our apparatus for development built around five or six or seven or eight or nine of those trips per year that's 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 a level of extra that's entirely unnecessary and you mentioned my team and the competitive fixtures that we have here locally in kansas city growing up and playing it's better now. The opportunity for it to be is, is significantly better yeah, now. The sport grew the sport tremendously. has grown to, tremendously. There is a much higher number of quality players in Kansas City or in any metro across the United States than there was 30 years and ago. If and, and whenever we traveled, we didn't beat somebody by six, eight, or ten goals. Great point. That's like, a great point. They were knockdown, drag-out fights. They, they were always developmental, good developmental games. Yeah. There are teams now spending thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to travel mm-hmm. to go all over the country, and Kansas City's got great soccer. Mm-hmm. And so these teams that we play against here and we have a you know a 1-1 tie with are going thousands of miles and spending a fortune, and they're coming away with a 10-0 win, an 8-0 win, and a 6-1 win. Yeah. And it's a total waste of their time time and money to do that and they'd be better off just playing in the local leagues you know and getting some extra training sessions in. for sure and for i'll sure. and i'll be very honest like for example my team one does the the national league and we do travel we go to st louis we meet st louis teams in boonville sometimes we travel a little further you know but it's not every weekend it's not something that it's like all year every weekend the whole time and I think it's fun. I think it's good for the boys, you know, to bond together, to play different teams, you know, and all our games were literally within one goal in between National League, National League Pro, all the games were within one goal. So it's competitive, but it's a team-based platform that the teams that they need to qualify to get there. It's not a club-wide base. So I think it makes a little more sense. Um, But anyway... I I see value in the travel, but again, there is no need. If we, if we, where we are, especially in Kansas City, we get Kansas City, we get St. Louis, you get Wichita, you get Topeka, we get just this three to four hour radius. If you want to travel a little bit, I mean, there's plenty of talent and teams for everybody. Like yep. there's no and, need to. And we know the teams when we sign up for a tournament. We know the teams we're signing up to play against. <laughs> so we know that they're good competitions. It's yep. not mandated to us by the ECNL yep. that we have to play against these seven teams in this division. You know, we know that we're playing against good competition. We can vet that competition, tournament by tournament, decide if we want to play there because we want games that are you know a goal either way. We want to be stretched. We want to be pushed for developmental reasons. We don't want to go to a tournament and win a game. Six zero eight zero ten zero, you know, like is happening in the ECNL. It's incredibly lopsided at the regional level. Maybe when you get to the national level, they're going to be good games, you know, because those teams have qualified to get there for that yeah. one tournament a year. But we're talking a tiny sliver, a of tiny the slice of development, yeah. yeah. You know, and but you have to pay your dues by either getting beaten up on if you're one of the weaker teams or beating up on other teams, you know, and it's just worthless from a development perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's shooting people in the in, in the foot. And the other thing is, you know, and and I really dislike this about American soccer, is the system is actually gamed for rich people. 
because it's pay to play. Oh, tell me about it. And Don't so, even get it started because that, that's a whole other episode, please. And, and we, we as a club, we never turn down anybody because they can't afford it. We have always found ways to get people, irrespective of their family circumstances financially, we get people involved here and we give them opportunities they can't get with other clubs because the coaches will not give a freebie on their teams mm -hmm. because the clubs do not have a system whereby we get kids funded. You know, and so, so you know, it, it's really, really good from a societal perspective what we do because we're developing players quicker, more creatively, you know, in, in a beautiful way. You know, the, our culture is just incredible. And we talked briefly there about how we've got the best coaching philosophy. We talked briefly about how we've got the best environment where we never have to cancel because we've got all of these indoor fields and, and, and so many soccer boxes. And, you know, they're just incredible. But our culture... Culture uh, is is one of inclusion. Is one of making sure that every player has an equal opportunity. So it doesn't matter whether you know. For example, we've got you know Tom Watson's grandkids in the club. It doesn't matter whether you're Tom Watson, the golfing hero's grandkids, you know, or you know, it, like Philippe's coaching a team where there's lots of Hispanic kids. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're from the upper end of society, the lower end of society, or somewhere in the middle. You are going to get an equal opportunity in our facilities and you know with our club in order to develop that talent and most importantly it's not about soccer you know we're a soccer podcast but the fourth part of you know the fourth leg to the stool is how our culture builds a brave creative leadership mentality for life and this is the true value that if you leave our club you're basically kissing it goodbye completely. Because in the new club, you're not going to be encouraged to take one, two, three players on, dribble from the halfway line, and score this incredible goal. I've seen this now a hundred times, but there was another highlight, that, highlight this weekend of a goalkeeper on one of our teams going the whole length of the field, yeah. you know, and the, the goalie just managed to pull off a save at the other end. But we encourage our goalies to go the whole length of the field and score. We want everybody to be exceedingly brave, exceedingly creative, exceedingly leadership oriented, almost to a ridiculous degree, so that in any environment in life after this one, they transfer that self-belief and they can be leaders, you know, and they're not intimidated by any environment subsequently after playing soccer with our crazy club that gets them to go for it. I'm not. I'm not sure if I've shared this on the on this pod before. If I have, it's worth hearing again. Uh, you know, Andy, you at some point during my youth playing for you. Um, I mean, there's 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 things and sayings that you've said and told, like the uh, uh, George Bush Dan Quayle joke that I've never forgotten. Right. Um, next thing, make the next thing a positive, productive thing, never forgotten. But there's one thing that you shared with us at some point, probably in high school, because for it to have had the impact that it's had on me. Um, um, I, I, I would have needed to have some level of maturity, but at practice at a training session over behind the old sprint building, I remember you sat us down and you were, you were explaining to us the whole purpose behind why we do what we do and it had nothing to do with soccer, your stated goal, your stated objective for us as players for you and all of the players for you was that you wanted us at 23, 24, 25, whenever we moved on from our soccer playing career into the next phase of life, which most likely would be a professional one in a working environment, you wanted us to be the type of person that would, when you got a new job, you're sat at the boardroom table, the CEO walks in and says, 
look, guys, we're in a whole lot of trouble. We got 12 months left of cash, and we need something to break. We need something to go positive for us, and we need somebody to step up, come up with the idea, and lead us through making it happen. And I want every single player to me to have the confidence, to have the enthusiasm, have the willingness to take and embrace risk, to stick their hand in the air and said, give it to me. I've got an idea. Let's roll. And having that, that attitude. And if we all step back from this youth soccer apparatus, which is giant and amazing and awful all at the same time, from a parental perspective, that's what we want for our kids. We want our kids when Whenever this whole thing is done and most of our life is, play, is meant playing, not playing sports as opposed to playing, whenever it's all done, we want our kids to have the type of self-confidence, the type of, of self-awareness and, and, and the recognition and willingness to try things and do things because progress comes from embracing risk and, and failing at times. Um, and, and, and so when that 14-year-old chooses to leave us, so that they can maximize their exposure for college coaches, they're making a decision that lessens their ability to become a brave, creative leader for life. They're lessening their ability to become that 27-year-old you know, you know, freckle-faced kid in the boardroom when the company's going over uh, under, willing to stick their hand in the air and, and have a go at it, and 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 they're also lessening their ability to do it on a soccer field. And so, um, the ends, if we really think about it, do they justify the means? And I think that that we as a society um, have become so extra and assume that 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 the the big fancy shiny thing is more important than everything else, and so our priorities get mixed up and. It's difficult for a parent to zoom out and, and, and recognize that. And right, right. And, and, and I've got I've got two questions. You know, when I you know sat you guys down and I said this to you, did I sound as good as you just did describing me? You know, <laughs> I've had about and, twenty years to, to practice that speech, so maybe. And not. you know, how did I fail so badly? Where you're concerned. <laughs> <laughs> Fair play, fair play. I think there's also a status component. Uh, in the society, people always want to tell their friends in the dinner table or in the bars that, you know, their kid is doing this. You know, they want to have that status component and say, oh, no, they're playing the most elite, uh, whatever is available. And, you know, that's, yes, that, that's kind yes, of not the reason. Hold on, hold on, hold on. And this is where this quote comes in. The greatest enemy of development is ego. Yeah, but that, exactly. And, and so you, you've got to understand this. And, and you know, we, have a, we have a society that lives in way more house than they need, drives way bigger, faster cars than they need, you know, and it's, it's for no other reason than it, they want it for their ego, for their image, you know. And that's the, the problem at the core of this. They're even cutting their own kids' throats developmentally for their ego. So, you know, but but the thing the uh, thing about it is you're right. But even assuming it's ego, and it is right, as even assuming it's ego, even from an ego perspective, they've got it wrong. And I mean that from a perspective. If you zoom out and you go to the you go to the deathbed of of every parent in in in, in Kansas City, and you say, "Look, you got two options, right? Um, life could have been for your kid one in which they played ECNL for a team for three years. They played on this big shiny fancy whatever, right? Or they were 
uh, 28 and, 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 and saved a company, solved a world problem, um, and they were a brave, creative leader for life, having a positive impact on the world. Those w- one of two options, and I know people are listening, the cynical ones are going to say, well, you can have both. And say, well, you can't. You can't have both because you lower your ceiling from a brave creative leadership perspective when you go join an environment where you become a another piece, a cog in the wheel. You, you become a seller. And you become, become a seller. And I'll be and I'll be honest, don't don't be naive to think that your kid at age 12, 13, 14, they're gonna be the one they're gonna go to that environment, be asked to play completely simple soccer and they're going to have the strong personality to do exactly the opposite and keep playing the legends way it's i'm sorry but it's not going to happen it's like very unlikely that's going to happen your kid is going to blend in and they're going to struggle developmentally can can i I make can i make one really important point you know and this is so important it's scary when people leave our club they lose so quickly their legend skills their tactical speed you know their intensity their mentality of go for it that you know the which is the core the belief in the the go for it mentality it's what making them being recruited by these other places that's why these other people want them but they lose it so quickly you know it'll make your head spin because they are immediately expected to come down to the team's level that they've joined, you know, and by the other players, you know, and, you know, even to a certain degree, the coaches. I was talking with, um, a, you know, a, a, an old friend of ours and, you know, Dan Calderon, and he had a, a creatively oriented coach called Ben Papula when he was younger, who grew up in Nigeria. Ben was a great player. And, you know, Ben told me that the reason that he was able to play for the Nigerian national team and professional soccer was he played street soccer from early morning on the weekends until it got dark. And he went to different streets and played five different games of street soccer because each street was known to have a different starting time. And, uh, and so, you know, Ben was this creatively, you know, inclined coach that helped Daniel be really good until he decided to leave, you know, um, Ben. Um, and then and he came to play for us, you know, and our players were even better than he was because we'd been doing more of what Ben was doing, you know. And so, you know, but Dan was a good player with us and that team finished second in the country under 16. So when there was only one national championship, not the 10 that exists right now, you know, our team was second, that team was second in the country. But then Daniel explained, just last night was telling me how he went to play for another coach in town, a British coach. And, you know, he was told that he didn't need to use his moves. Everything had to be one and two touch, you know, and he lost his skills in no time at all. You know, and I've heard this, this same story or a version of this story. You know, honestly, if I had a dollar for every time I've heard it, I'd be a very wealthy man. You know, I've heard this so many times because all of the work you put in can be destroyed in an instant. If psychologically the coach doesn't support your willingness to take a player on, if, if and most coaches won't support it, they they will say, "Don't do that. You're not playing for the legends now." I quote: "Many times I've heard this, and so instantly everything that they've built in terms of one-on-one ability, the Lionel Messi skills, the CR7 skills, the Zidane skills, the Ronaldinho skills, instantly that is denied them. They're told not to do it at the next level, and even if they're not told." not to do it they are not encouraged to do it at the next level yeah but and uh, the 
I, I, I feel like this, the need to say it. I'm still speaking to those cynics that are listening to this episode. And they're, and, and they're, they're saying, well, screw you guys, right? Like there's players that have played at a great level and have gone, and, you know, and, and there are people that have gone on and lived brave, creative lives, right? And as that have never touched foot or ever heard of the Legends Club. And I don't disagree with that at all, right? But it is, I, 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 think, I, think, I think it is, it is, it is inarguable that there are environments that push this go for it brave creative leadership perspective right and and those environments and they all, and each one of those environments like some are better than others right and when you leave what is on its face obviously the most brave creative go for it encouraging you to go conquer the world environment for one that is less than you cannot argue that you were choosing to lower your brave creative leadership ceiling. Now, that doesn't mean you can't go play for another club and still end up being brave and creative and a leader, but you're less of a brave creative leader by a significant amount than you would have been had you not left. And so it is inevitable. It is inevitable. It is 100%. It, you can't, it is a universal truth and axiom, right? Right. Um, and and here's, here's the thing. You know, the parents that are, you know, contemplating doing this, that have decided they're going to do this, this tryout season, uh, they haven't seen this process, you know, in reality happen hundreds of times over the last, you know, 30 years since I started the club. Well, I've, I've seen this since 1989. I've seen this process every single summer since 1989. We are the club that loses the most players every year. You know, and we are the club that grows every year because our reputation is incredible. And unfortunately, we're the club that loses players that later, after going somewhere else, become much worse players and definitely not exciting, brave, creative leaders. And and objectively come back to us, many of them, and say, ah, we left too early, right? And and th- and we've had so many players leave us around 13, 14, 15, many of which. At the time that they left us, they were in the youth national team setup and continued to be for a period of time, but none of them were in the youth national team setup at U17 or U20, right? Uh, and, and, and why is that? Well, I think it's difficult to, to, to make a, a point that well, when you lose what makes you special and different and unique, you lose the deceptive dribbling ability to create space out of nothing and stuff the ball in the back of the net, you end up, you, you end up losing access to the highest levels and, and of the game. And you have to ask, you know, when you make the national team you know what had been your major influence that brought you why'd to they that pick point? you why'd they pick you why'd they pick you you know and and they pick our players as forwards or creative midfielders because we can beat players we can pretzel opponents we can play devastating through balls penetrating passes and you know what more than anything we can score from 30 yards well you know what andy my daughter and my son's in that age group but you know what i hear you but we really want that ecnl thing so we're just going to continue to practice our maradona turns every night when we get home after practice doesn't work doesn't why doesn't it work it doesn't work because you're not encouraged to use it in the game. In fact, you're discouraged to use it in the game. You do you, know, you do the first one, and then the coach is going to say, hey, next time, look at the open pass. And then you do it again. And then next time, coach, hey, look at the open pass. The third time you do it, the coach subs you out. Then you go in again, and your players, your teammates, when you get the ball, they're going to start, pass, but, pass. But Andy and and you go, so, go fall but, in the system. But Andy I, and Philippe, I, no, let, me, let me continue down this path that, for a second. That, it's the same story. So, it's how it happens every single time. But, it happens in Brazil. But I'm it the happens kid. everywhere. I'm the parent. I'm the parent, right? I hear you. I hear you. But you guys don't know how good my kid is, my daughter. Oh, she's a national champion, right? And she has. So, so they're going to let her do that. 
that. They've already told us they'll let her do it. And you know why they're going to let her do it? Because they recognize she's the best in the city. And your answer is this, Philippe, because you said it in our text stream. You're like, you're missing the point. Most of the developmental time by a vast majority is Bingo. not the games. It's practice. Bingo. And so if you're not doing it in the practice over and over and over again, under pressure, in a crowd, then you're going to lose it. And there is no way you're going to keep it in that environment. And, that's, and there's and another that's, thing. I've had two daughters that because there wasn't, they were playing up and there wasn't a strong enough group left in our club after the older players graduated, they had to move to, quote unquote, ECNL or other clubs, you know, that uh, the coached differently. And even if the coach, you know, was either mute about them dribbling and doing their funky skills and stuff, because uh, there's not been a coach that's really been overtly encouraging of that because it's just not in their DNA. You know, but even where the coach allowed them to do it, the other players sure. screamed at them and shouted them, pass, pass, quit being so selfish. So the, the pressure, as opposed to here, where everybody's encouraging, you know, their teammates to go for it and enjoying the encouragement back, you know, so everybody is in this positive spiral of getting even braver, even more creative, even more leadership oriented. The players on the other team see this dribbler as even if they're helping win games for the team, they see this dribbler as somebody that's selfish, a hot dog, a ball hog. You know, even though in world history, those have always been the greatest players, you know, they're so oriented towards their own ego and, you know, and probably feel that by comparison, they're not as good as the player that can beat people and score great goals. And so the pressure is massive. And especially in girls the skills disappear real quickly because the inclination the poppy seed. D the poppy it disappears deal. real quickly. Girls do not have, you know, that hunter warrior thing that boys have. And so they retreat into a, a safer shell that, that will make them popular with their teammates, Go along to get along. which is, yeah, yeah, get it, give it, get yeah. it, give it, just get, start playing these passes instead of go for it. Instead of beating one, beating two and scoring a world cup winning goal, they just retreat and then and, uh, and that's the thing for me it's just simple math you have 52 weeks in a year you let's say you play one game per week which the clubs that's that more, yeah, yeah it, clubs that especially the clubs that play you know they don't play as many games because of all the travel but let's even say you play 50 games a year but if you train three times a week you train 150 times a so, like, it's 150 versus 50. What's more important? What you, your practice or your game? And, your and practice. So, if you're under the coach, the setup, the environment, the team, everybody's training the same way. Everybody's taking you on. So, on the defensive side, you're defending skillful players. On the offensive side, you're de uh, attacking a player who's used to defending a skillful player. So, you're getting both ends on the very... Uh, best way possible you're taking all the shots you're taking all the first touches you're doing all that all that all that you're getting that whole curriculum the environment the design everything the philosophy three times more than than what you have I, in I, games I, I got something how, really, really how I don't understand how they don't make that assumption so, so in a third of the time in a third of the time you will have in the some of them, a little bit more exposure to coaches, and you're gonna be blending in among a thousand other people. It's just so. So our 2009 team, right? You know that it looks as though there's players that are gonna be leaving. You know, on the national scene, 
they were incredibly unique. They were an outlier. They won the national championship so comfortably, it was scary. You know, it, it was They're never... They're getting the word out. It was never in doubt that they were going to win the national championship. I watched every game, states, regionals, all the, you know, all the different, you know, tournaments that, that they needed to play to get there. It, it, was, it was won so comfortably because they're so brave and so creative because these kids have been immersed in our program since they were four. So they're this incredible outlier. Last I looked, they were ranked fifth in the nation on Got Soccer. You know, so this is an incredibly highly ranked team that is an outlier, that is totally different, that is, is going to get amazing, you know, looks from college coaches if they stay together all the way through until they go into college, you know. And they're thinking of, of splitting and joining different teams and breaking this, this amazing outlier group up, you know, that is guaranteed to, gonna be, to be on the radar if they win you know, or finish second or third in a national championship under 14, under 15, under 16, under 17 with USYSA, they're going to be probably the number one most intriguing, you know, team in the nation to all of these college coaches because they're this outlier. They play like nobody else. Margin of greatness. Margin of greatness. So they're going to be famous for being an outlier, you know, and now we've got players that are joining two ECNL teams we hear, you know, in order to, be, you know, to, to shrink as a player and not expose themselves to college coaches in anything like the way that they would if they stayed together and continue to be able to play at the very highest level. And that was to, the best segue to, you could have given me for what I wanted to say. Hey, hold on. Which teams, is, in, teams in which in their division, they're not even in the top half in their conference. Yeah, yeah. But that's a great segue for me, Andy, because somebody listening to this, why are they so fired up? Well, I'll tell you why. Because these parents and players that are leaving this team or any team in these age groups, right, that are exceptional and special and, and, and the sky's the limit and brave creators, creative leaders and the development on the path to doing that for life, they're doing that so they can settle. They can settle for, ah, oh, we get an ECNL. That puts us in a scenario where we can make sure we get to a Division One, you know, probably high-level uh, uh, university setup, right? They're settling for that, and that is the complete opposite of who we are and who our DNA is. We don't settle. Being a brave, creative leader for life means we're going for it. We want more. We want to achieve more. We want to have a bigger impact on the game that we're currently playing and life as a whole once we get there. And so our passion and enthusiasm comes from a place of we don't want to see exceptional people, exceptional players settle for a lower level, significantly so in most cases, maybe all cases, than they would have had if they'd have kept to push for more, if they'd have kept to go for it, if they continued on this ragged edge, push the edge of the envelope. Um, the, the next thing is something so f I haven't even dreamed of yet because I'm capable of charting an entirely new path uh, for myself as a human, for society as a whole, for the game specifically. And, and we're only talking about you know the top, 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 top end right the kids that go to play those national uh caliber events and leagues and stuff like that but it also happened across the board how many times i've had you know players that are on the second team you know leave because they are not making the first team here and then they go make a first team anywhere else in the city because they go to try out they do the moves they do what's different they stand out and they're like Oh, I'm gonna go there to play at the highest level. I'm gonna play against the your academy team that 
you know, I'm not making that team here. I'm like, why you don't think you're not making that team here? Well, like, well, maybe you need to improve your first touch. Maybe improve, you need to improve your shot. Maybe you need to spend more time on the place that will make those things the best in your game. So if you need help when you're shooting, you're in the best place for that. If you need help in your first touch, you are in the base, best place for that. And also, you can train with the first team here and you're going to get way more, you know, out of training with the first team in the right curriculum than you go anywhere else. And a lot of these kids, you know, they don't make the first team here. They want to go somewhere else, make the first team somewhere else. And they all go backwards. It happens all the time, so, too. So th th this is brilliant that Philippe is saying this because, you know, where is there a more mature soccer society, you know, that, that this very thing is happening today, you know, when it didn't used to happen, you know, and that society dominated world soccer. That's what happened to Brazil. You can use the same logic we're talking it, about, it Kansas City kids exactly with Exactly the same 100%. because Brazil now, you know, their street soccer wizards are getting recruited to go young, abroad when they're 14, age, 15, yep. 16. Eight now. Eight, it's ridiculous. You know, it's, and so what's happening is as they get recruited to go to these other clubs that don't have that creative ethos, they lose it. Because it's what Brazilians do. They dribble, they shoot, they take players on, they score, and they've got this unbelievable ability that's baked in by the time they turn 18, 19, 20, and they didn't used to leave the country maybe until they were 22, 23, 24. And, like, and nowadays, they're settling to be players that we don't know, as opposed to the other example from the current generation, which is Neymar. And when did Neymar leave Brazil? 21, 22. He, he was stayed the, he the was longest, the and that's why he's he the most the well-known. And so those other players settled for a significantly lower impact on the game, right? Significantly lower impact on probably their stated goal as to why they started playing the whole thing to begin with, just like so many players are settling by leaving to and go So, so listen to this. You know, we have to be positively different at the time that the college coaches are heavily recruited. And it's not 13, it's not 14, it's not even 15, it's not even 16. It's 17, 18 these days. They can't recruit until the beginning of the junior year in high school. So that's when our players have to be positively different. And anybody that leaves us before they are, you know, in that junior year in high school, at the start of that junior year in, in high school, when the coaches are making a commitment, and I've got, Tons of college coaches as, as good friends, you know, and they're telling me they were so relieved when the rules changed because now they don't have to take a risk on a 14-year-old that might get injured, that might go backwards between 14 and 17. They can actually really seriously start recruiting, you know, when that kid is at the start of their junior year because virtually nobody these days is making commitments right at the start of the junior year. Those commitments are happening more and more at the end of the junior year after the college coaches have really gotten out there and after they've seen all of the kids they wanted to see and talked to all the kids they wanted to recruit. Because, you know, they've got this, you know, this, this, um, you know, past experience of having recruited a 14-year-old that by the time that she is 17, she's had an ACL injury, she's gone into the tank, she hasn't made it back, you know, and they've made a commitment to this scholarship that they can't break. So, you know, they were so relieved they don't have to recruit until the start of the junior year, but this is not what the other club coaches are telling them, the parents and the players. They're saying that you've got to play for us in, and work your way into the system in order to be on our under-17 ECL. NL team and that's baloney 
because every single good player we've had that's wanted to be on their under-17 ECNL team has made their teams, you know, at the drop of a hat because they're so good. These, these coaches are desperate to improve their winning reputation and our guys are so good that when they're 17, they walk into those teams. Those ECNL rosters change over a few players every year. Uh, Not not just a few, usually more than a few. Sometimes much more than a few because the the point is having the best possible team that specific year. Well, the point is winning. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, and remember this though, you have to be positively different when the college coaches are watching you. Yeah. And most of the ECNL teams, you can go to a game Every player looks almost exactly like every other player. They're passing, they're moving, they're passing, they're moving. They're not penetrating with their passes. They're going sideways, backwards. You know, maybe they'll go 45 degrees forwards. You know, they're not dribbling and taking people on. They're certainly not shooting from 30 yards and scoring. You know, they're not doing the things that our players do and get used to doing just as a matter of course, as a habit. Our players are brilliant. Theirs aren't. I saw a quote uh, attributed to Kevin DeBruyne recently. One of the coaches at the club, I think, shared it on Facebook yesterday. Um, but it was essentially like, I think uh, Kevin DeBruyne said, I think the, the passing accuracy percentage uh, stat that's, that's tracked is useless for players for, players like me i'm paraphrasing um maybe for maybe for a holding midfielder or a defender it matters a lot but for me an attacking player i can i can have a 96 percent passing rate and i can go sideways and backwards and never take a risk the entire game and it uh, impacts the game nowhere for me it's all about being dangerous and can to be sh- dangerous can you share that with me i think it was Vorce that shared it but yeah i'll find it um but uh to be dangerous you've you've got to attack you've got to go and you got to take a risk and you've got to fail yeah and and that's it. I mean, it's it. It, it you you got to stand out when you have you have the chance. You don't need three hundred chances. You need one and take that chance. You need one, two. You need to be ready in the right moment. Yeah. And to be ready in the right moment, you got to develop appropriately. As we as we look toward the 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 the, the wrap up of this specific episode, Andy, um, I, well, this has been fun. First off, I don't remember being this passionate, enthusiastic, all three of us collectively together for the period of time that we have. Um, and maybe it's because I feel as I feel about ECNL or any other dumb national league. Um, I feel I feel I have the same feelings about that one as I do the proposed European Super League, where it takes all of the no, richest but, clubs but, across Europe and bring them together. For me, that closed environment is not the best for the game. It's best for the power brokers that own it to make more money. And yeah, that's what's happening in MLS, uh, MLS right now. Sure. You know, the, you know, there's no promotion relegation. It's so boring. It, it's, it's extremely boring. I don't even look at MLS. You know, I What's don't look at their results. You know, I know Kansas City's bottom because I read, you know, things <laughs> Listen, you know, about how bad they are. <laughs> but, you know, there's no interest to me. The only interest to me is maybe a couple of teams at the top. But there's no interest at the bottom. You know, up until the last few weeks of the English Premier League season, I'm interested in both the top and the bottom. You know, exactly. my team, Leeds oh, United, is make in a dogfight. Cha- you know, to stay up. And the to, game is to better. Be relevant. The game is better for it, not just from an eyes-watching perspective, but the actual progress of the game and the game getting better and becoming a better reflection of life and 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 a more impactful world activity. The soccer has a giant impact on the world. Um, uh, is better for that competitive environment as opposed to a closest. You have to have players that make an impact. Yeah. You, you know, because you've got to survive or you've got to prosper. You know, and you know, at both ends of the division, you know, it, it's life or death. Yeah. You know? 
and you look it's not just the top and the bottom it's the teams that are fighting for the title the teams that are fighting for the Champions League the teams that are fighting for the Europa League the teams that are fighting for whatever the teams that are fighting to stay in the league and as you said if you get relegated your budget gets cut tremendously so you gotta survive you gotta find ways that you know makes the more way more competitive way more interested way more interesting gives opportunity you know for other clubs i mean it's the barrier of entry it's it's gigantic you need to get into the league into the system uh, another club can just get an investor do really well and just you know work their way up and i think you know right now it's it's been happening in brazil uh Wrexham in in wales you know teams there moving up well, the ladder and yesterday I was watching Brighton play against Manchester United and Brighton's players were pound for pound much more skillful than Manchester United players that cost millions and millions and millions of dollars more and you know I looked at it and you know I thought to myself you know fair play to Brighton because they've taken this you know this I'm going to go for it you know perspective on the game and they're overachieving you know you know they you know that i think they're still in an outside chance of a europa cup space you know and you know and they're doing unbelievably well for a tiny club on the english south coast you know that has never had a premier league pedigree you know and so but it's because they're willing to you know be creative mm-hmm. you know their players are willing to be leaders they're willing to take the responsibility and you can see that the club has recruited them for that purpose and so they're able to knock off the giants of the game that are too focused on winning tactically in order to you know put together this type of a squad you know and and that's the challenge is you know we as a club we develop this type of a player we develop multiple squads in each age group that can play in locally in D1 that can win state cups you know and and play at the highest level in these younger ages and you know what if we were to be able to keep our players together you know because they they didn't get recruited by these people that can't develop the players but they want the you know the players that we've got and developed and then they ruin them you know after they've recruited them because they they can't train people this way and they don't have the environment and they don't have the history they don't have the ethos ethos they don't have the belief so they can't train people to be even better after they've got them inevitably they're only going to destroy what they 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 bought you know with their lies and with their cheated and i'm sorry that's that's honesty you know and and i'm upset with these people that do this because they know that the players get weaker after they recruit them but it doesn't matter because they need to pay their house bills it doesn't matter because cynically power you know they, they've got to retain their power they got to win games you know in order to pay the bills it's pay to play and so they're willing to be as cynical as possible and go around the rules and do whatever they can and, and basically tell people a bunch of lies a bunch of untruths in order to get them on board with their squad you know and then inevitably it's always happened it's hundreds of players now that we've seen this happen to those kids go backwards and it's shocking it's criminal And you know why I'm passionate about it? Because as Annie pointed out, uh, that's what happens with Brazil. And it's been happening for all those years. The European clubs, they come, they get the kids. You see most of the national team players over the last 10 years, they got sold to big European clubs at 16, 17, 18, 19. And the ones that got sold by 15, by 18, they left. The other ones left by 18, 19, 20. And they didn't finish their development in Brazil, and now they were talking. I read the other day Rodrigo, that plays for Real Madrid. He has been scouted since he's seven when he was playing futsal in Santos. 
Like, that's crazy. And Santos has a kid that is eight years old and I had a, already have a million-dollar contract with Nike. It's, it blows my mind. So, same thing. These big European clubs is recruiting these kids out of Brazil. Not a single Brazilian that is born that has a uh, European passport is not going to Europe to play. Like, legit. All, all the kids that have Portuguese, people, agents find out they have Portuguese passport or whatever, boom. Europe. So by the once time, they're kid, once they're kids, 10, 11, 12, they're already playing in academies there instead of staying in Brazil. By so, the time Brazil plays in the next World Cup, they will be on their longest streak of not winning a World Cup by 2026, from 2002 to 2026, and that streak will match between 1970 and 1994. Hmm. And the likelihood of them winning the next World Cup is slim and none, from what I'm seeing in terms of the players that are coming through. Where was the, the World Cup in 94? <laughs> he thinks that matters. Oh, it's back in the U.S. I guess Brazil's going to win. I can't wait to see Romario and Beto's uh, uh, now, now we're getting into, like, uh, you know, witch doctor stuff, aren't we? You know, we're just hoping well, that... I got, somehow... I got to wrap it up. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so Andy, I, Philippe, we'll great episode, great next. enthusiasm, um, and we will continue on with the next episode. Thanks, guys. All right, thank you. Thank you.